Mark, he knew the answers. He's pour, it's pouring out of him this beautiful message of Jesus. You see, he was convinced that in Jesus Christ, God had acted powerfully and decisively. He had invaded all of human history and he had radically impacted every person and ultimately secured the hope of their salvation through Jesus. In the person and work of Jesus, God had been, as it was said of Aslan or Aslan in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, God had been on the move, right? God had been on the move. That's what we're going to call this sermon series. If you want to put that up there, Darren, just that, that little slide. The Gospel of Mark, God on the move. Mark was convinced that God had been on the move through the person of Jesus, interrupting and intervening human history with this incredible God-man. And not only had he been on the move, but now, even now he was on the move among the people that Mark's gospel would be shared with, who would be reading about these stories of Jesus all these years after it had happened. And undoubtedly, Mark was convinced as he put these words to papyrus or whatever it was that he wrote on, that, that these words, that, that God would be on the move through these stories of Jesus for years and even centuries and even millennium to come. God on the move, the gospel of Mark. It's our hope, it's still our confidence that as we read these stories, as we encounter Jesus really in these stories, as we come face to face with Him in these weeks and hear with fresh ears the good news of His life and teaching that God will be on the move in our own hearts. I'm just believing that. I'm praying for that. That God will be on the move in your heart. God will be on the move in your life. He'll be bringing you and inviting you and inspiring you to new depths of love for Him and new heights of obedience to Him. Well, Mark begins his account with uh, these simple words. If you have your, your Bible, you can open up to the Gospel of Mark. We're just going to spend just a few moments in, in this, this beginning chapter. He, he begins with these simple words, the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I think it's up there, verse 1. The beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I actually really appreciate Mark's humility with this statement at the beginning of his gospel, as he himself declares it to be the beginning. That he, everything that he's going to write, he is aware of the fact that no matter what he could possibly write in these pages, that it is only the beginning of what God has done and will do through the person of Jesus. It still should be uh, only considered a beginning. And actually, this particular beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ doesn't even really start at the literal beginning because, as most of you know, the Gospel of Mark does not include any nativity stories or birth of Jesus narratives. Those are left for Matthew and Luke, and, and Mark doesn't have those, nor does the Gospel of John. Um, interestingly, if you have your Bibles, you can kind of see as you look down in the next few words that this beginning doesn't even begin with Jesus. Who does it begin with? John. John the Baptist. John, you can take that down just for a second. John was um, an alarm clock. He was a, uh, 
a, a wake-up call. He was a splash of cold water on the face of God's people in those moments. I, I hope that most of you got to awaken this morning to the sound of the birds chirping outside. Maybe the smell of coffee coming up, you know, your automatic coffee timer set, and it was a very peaceful wake up. Is that true of anybody here? Maybe a few of you. Most of you, maybe you had kids banging on your door, you had an alarm clock going off, or, you know, the neighbors started mowing their lawn, or so, I don't know what it was for you, but you had a pretty abrupt wake up, and, and for most of you, again, tomorrow morning, that'll be the case, and, and most likely the next morning. I mean, this is kind of how we live, but, but in this case, the, the people of God had been in a bit of a slumber, and Mark comes as a wake-up call, dressed like an Old Testament prophet. He, he comes to baptize people and call them to repentance. And yet, here we go in verse 7, verse 7 and 8. It says, this was his message. Read this with me, would you? After me will come one more powerful than I. Keep reading. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I, is there more? Yeah. I baptize you with water, but He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Of course, Mark's talking about this one who will come after Him, Jesus. And, and the advance, the, the step up, the amazing uh, change, the transformation that will take place as this one comes. Even the second voice heard in the Gospel. And this is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, right? But even the second voice heard in this Gospel is still not that of Jesus. We get John the Baptist, and the second voice we hear is that of the Father in heaven. It's at Jesus' own baptism as he's been baptized, come to be baptized by John the Baptist. And as he comes up from the water, the skies open up, the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove, and we hear this voice from heaven and these words, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. It's, uh, it's interesting how in these economic times, I love just saying that, these economic times. Say it with me, it's fun. These economic times. Um, some of you are like, that's not funny at all, James. Um, but it's interesting that in these economic times, um, the stamp made in the USA can be a key marketing tool. Have you noticed that? I mean, this is a key marketing tool. It's been vital to a product's success. Everything from cars to clothing uh, has been so quick to uh, use this, if indeed they are made in the USA, to use this as a marketing tool to show that they are supportive. They're providing jobs for Americans. They're supportive of our industry, of our economy. And uh, this, is, this is really good, particularly ironic um, that those items that are supposedly patriotic in nature, when you turn them over, you know, and they say like made in China or whatever. I was, I was really thinking of those light up necklaces at the, at the national conventions. I'm pretty sure those things weren't American made. I mean, but uh, you never know. Maybe so. Um, but, but just kind of ironic, these things that are, that are, you know, patriotic. The real controversial item this summer, if you recall, were the clothes that the Olympic athletes wore during the opening ceremonies. I think maybe the closing ceremonies as well, but I know the, Olymp the opening ceremonies for sure. Made by Ralph Lauren, but upon closer examination, found to be stamped with the label that said, Made in 
China. And this great controversy erupted that in these economic times, our own Olympic athletes were wearing clothes that were produced in other countries. Uh, from beret to blazer, uh, stamped with those infamous words, made in China. Well, I say that to say it here right from the start in the Gospel of Mark. Right at the beginning, both the voice of John the Baptist and that of the Father from heaven would have served to call the readers to sit up and take notice. God's prophet was speaking. God Himself was speaking. And both of them, with their words, now at the very beginning of this Gospel, were putting their stamp of authenticity. They were putting their stamp of authority upon this One who was coming into the world. He could be trusted. He could be believed in. He could be submitted to. He could be expected to be and to do things as they had never been done before. And to use maybe just a little bit of a different metaphor, it was as if this as yet privately held company was getting ready to go public and none other than Warren Buffett himself was the one standing first in line ready to buy a share. I mean, this is, this is the voice of the prophet of God and God himself putting his stamp of authority, his stamp of authenticity. Something brand new was happening and the world would never be the same again. And friends, we're invited to sit up and take notice. When we hear these words, when we hear John the Baptist talking, when we hear God the Father talking, you're my son whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. I mean, we're invited to stand up actually and take notice of just what is going on. These words that we'll read, these stories that, that we're going to soak in over these next few months are not just stories. They're not just provided to us for our entertainment or even for our information. They're shared with us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for our transformation. This Jesus, this Jesus that we'll read about, that we'll encounter afresh, can be trusted. He can be believed. This Jesus can be expected to do things in our lives can be expected to do things in our church, can be looked to with confidence to, to act and be on the move like we've never seen before and we've never experienced before. It was just this past June, I think I've told some of you guys this story, but it was just this past June we were at our district mission convention and uh, the missionary was there and he was sharing stories about the Horn of Africa and, and it's these amazing, miraculous stories. And he was just recounting story after story as to how God was on the move in this, in this continent, and in particular there in the Horn of Africa. I mean, just, just miraculous stuff that you wouldn't expect and you wouldn't anticipate. And, and after he told a particularly kind of you know, extreme story, one of, the, one of the teenage girls that was there with us kind of leaned over to Kyla and just tapped her on the shoulder, tugged on her shirt and said, are these stories true? Right? Are these stories true? And Kyla had the opportunity in that moment just to look back at her and say, yes, absolutely. These stories of what God is doing in the Horn of Africa are absolutely true. And indeed, the stories that we will read as we come up and encounter these stories and see the power and the healing and the teaching and, and the suffering and ultimately the dying and the 
being raised again stories of Jesus, we can know that they are true. Praise God with me once again that they have been written down, that they have been collected, that they have been passed on to us under the leadership of the Spirit, not just so that we can know about Jesus, but so that we can know Jesus. I haven't preached on a gospel. It's my practice. Uh, Every fall, I think I've done this for at least the last 10 years, if not all 15, for every fall, for if you've been a part of our community for a while, you know this, for these 10 to 12 weeks, September, October, November, we, we just take a book of the Bible. And I know a lot of churches do that just throughout the year, and we do some of that, but at least for this three-month chunk, we just take a book of the Bible. We alternate from Old Testament to New Testament, Old Testament to New Testament. And in all these years, I've managed to preach Old and New Testament books alike without preaching on one of the Gospels. And I I looked at my records last winter and began to think about what was coming up, and I thought, that's that's pastoral malpractice, I think is what they call that. Um, We've touched on them. I mean, we've kind of dipped into the Gospels from time to time, but we've never as as a body just set ourselves before the story of the good news of Jesus in an extended form and said, here, work on us, Jesus. But this fall, that's what we're going to do. And I couldn't be more excited about it. We read uh, in verse 16 these words. Verse 16, I think, hopefully that's the next one, 16 and 17. Go to, the, go to the next one, I'm sorry. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. That's what fishermen do. They cast nets into the lake. Mark, he's detailed. What can we say? Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Now hold it there for a second. He adds the detail that they're fishermen, but then, I mean, think of all that he's actually saying in this one sentence. And this could have been like five paragraphs, and he puts it in one sentence. Come follow me, Jesus said, Leave everything behind and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And look what they did. At once they left their nets and followed him. I kind of thought of this little verse of Scripture, these two verses, 16 and 17 there in chapter 1, as kind of maybe a, a summary for what God wants to do in and through us in these weeks. He wants us to come in in, in an encounter with Jesus in such a way that we hear Jesus saying to us, right where we are, whatever it is that you throw into the lake, you know, whatever it is that you do in the middle of your day, whatever it is that takes up your time, right in the middle of that, whatever you know, football you're throwing or whatever, uh, Jesus encountering you and saying, come follow me. i got something extraordinary I want to do in your life. And you can't even know You can't even anticipate all that it might mean. But along the way, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And what that was meaning, I mean, that's an old reference back into the Old Testament that that really what Jesus was inviting them to be is not, you know, this image that we get of like, you know, casting our line out to get people. But to be a fishers of men was really to be partners with God. And Jesus is saying, come follow me. Join with me and my Father in heaven as we accomplish our mission and purpose in the world. And uh, 
And the invitation, of course, as the disciples heard it, uh, as yet they weren't quite disciples, but they were becoming, they heard it and they at once left their nets. And I, I just, I, again, I hope that that's kind of a, uh, a theme for us as we read and respond to these stories in Mark, that as we read them and are encountered by Jesus, that we would be quick to say, all right, because of what I've read here, because of what I've heard, how I've been encountered I'm going to leave behind what it was that I was holding on to and be ready to move into what it is that you have in mind for me. And, and that I, I just believe, again, through these weeks that, that many of us might leave behind some comfort zones or some status quos that, that we've just kind of been living with for a long time. And when we see Jesus giving us a new way, a new possibility, my hope is that we respond just as the disciples did, that they would... Turn at once and follow him. So, yeah, Jesus' invitation remains the same for us today. Um, there's no telling what awaits us as we commit ourselves to him. So, we've been reminded. Um, by the way, um, I'm wrapping it up now, and if you've been following along in your Bible, you'll notice that there's about over a half of chapter one that I haven't gotten to. And uh, so, go to your growth group. All right, and have a great time doing that. But we've been reminded this morning of, of uh, the importance of writing things down. Hopefully you've been taking a few little notes just to kind of help yourself as you think about this. But um, again, I hope it kind of sits heavy on you a little bit. Just a sense of gratitude that, that at some point, I mean, these, these stories of Jesus have been passed on orally for a number of years. And yet, at a point in history, many people think it was because in that decade, 60 to 70, there was intense persecution, and Mark wanted to, to, to write a letter demonstrating all that Jesus had gone through as a way of encouraging those who were going through such persecution. But whatever the, the reason, at a moment in history, these stories got written down. And so we get to read them and be changed by them uh, in these in these days. So now it's your turn. I, I just want us to, to kind of wrap this this way and just have you take a moment. Maybe, maybe Rick, you could come. Could you just come? I know the worship team is going to come in, in a moment, but could you come, Rick, just by yourself and just play just kind of quietly some, some strings and um, just kind of as background? I, I want you just to take a couple of moments as Rick plays and as we just kind of think here in this quietness. I just want you to write down now something that you are praying for, something that you would hope for, that God would do in your heart and in your life in these weeks of studying the Gospel of Mark. You know, we could pull out all the research that says, you know, when you write something down, right, it becomes real to you. And so I just want you to just take a moment. Maybe it's something just as simple as, I want to be a better disciple. Maybe some of you would just say, boy, I know there's a bunch of stories of Jesus providing healing in this gospel. I, I want to experience the healing touch of Jesus like I've never known it before. Maybe some of you are maybe going through some persecution or, you know, just some, you're just not feeling, you're feeling left out or out of place, whatever your setting might be. And, and you would just want to write, 
I want to receive the strength that Jesus provides for those who are undergoing suffering. Uh, could be this is a gospel, right? I mean, this is the good news. Maybe you, maybe you just want to write, I want to, be, I, I want to learn to be a better proclaimer of the good news. I want to learn to share the good news of Jesus in a more powerful way. Those are some suggestions. You might have something completely different. Would you just take about a minute at this point now? Just write something down. If you don't have some paper again, just grab something there. Write something down. What's your, what's your prayer? What's your hope? What's your confidence for these weeks to come? Thank you, Jesus, that you stepped into this world, validated by John the Baptist and by the Father from heaven, vindicated by an empty tomb. We thank you, Jesus, that even as you announced that with you the kingdom of God had come near. That a whole new way of doing business in the world was now beginning with you. We thank you for your invitation to us to repent and to believe the good news and, and, and to know your invitation to turn from what we've been and to step into a life that is beyond what we could ever imagine. Thank you, Jesus, that these words that record your your life, your teaching, your miracles, not not everything about you, but but what what we need to know at this point were written down at some point and we can study them and be encountered by the Christ of the Gospel of Mark and have our lives confronted by your truth that we will be examining. Thank you, Jesus, that your interest is not simply in entertaining or informing us, but in transforming us. And so, God, even now, as maybe we've written down some hopes and some prayers and some dreams for what we might become, what we might do in the world differently because of our encounter with you through this gospel. We, we pray that actually whatever it is that you want to do in us, you could do. That you could take what we've written and, and make it even something grander. That we would come before you and your word in these weeks with great humility and with great hope at the same time. So we lay ourselves, we bow down in worship before you. And we go from this place in worship before you. And everything that we have and everything that we are and everything that we do, we pray will bring glory and honor to you. Through Christ Jesus our Lord, we pray. Amen. And amen. And amen. God bless you. Go in his peace.